Hey, what's up? My name is Steven, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. Week three of Thriving in Babylon. This is a challenging series for me, just in all honesty, because um, there's not a lot of laughter in these messages. And, and like, like I thrive just on seeing smiles, but sometimes like we have to do the hard work of living in this world, right? Sometimes we have to do the hard work of, of living as a Christian and, and standing in culture. And so we're talking about loving well and standing strong in a culture that is changing. And not just here in America, like we look all across the globe and Christendom is dwindling and the Babylonian culture, as we've been talking about, is starting to grow. And we know that the mindset and the idea behind this Babylonian spirit, as we're looking in the book of Daniel, even though Babylon is no longer a nation, that it is a, a mindset, an attitude, and really a spirit that wants to exalt itself um, really above God. And when we start to exalt ourselves in life, we lower God in our lives. And we see that happening across the world. We see it happening in America. And so we looked at when Daniel and his friends were taken into captivity in Babylon. Um, they were royal teenagers. They were noble, not royal pains, but they were royal teenagers. They were, they were of noble descent. Um, they were well-educated, and so they were brought into the king's court, and their names were changed. Because one of the things that culture will try to do is it's changing to pull us away from the kingdom of God is, is, is change who we're called, and we have to know who we are, right? We have to know who we are, not based off what culture says, but what God says we are, right? Um, one of the things culture will try to do will try to tame us to follow the ways of the world. We have to know where we stand. And by doing those two things, culture will try to claim us for itself. Um, we have to not just know who we are and where we stand, but even more importantly, you and I have to know whose we are, right? Because when we understand whose we are, that determines the first two. And so this week, I want to help us to um, lead well, to serve well. I want us to be able to influence the influencers um, because like to be an influencer now, that's what young people want to be, right? And even some older people, they want to be an influencer on Instagram so that we can get people to buy my products. You know, whether it's on YouTube or Instagram or Facebook, we see that's kind of um, what, what people think direct the world. And really it does. But honestly, it's not just the influencers um, on social media, but it's the influencers in your workplace. It's the influences, influencers in our community, those that we're close to, that you and I have the opportunity to, believe it or not, influence. One of the things that we're talking about in our men's small group is, is becoming a better leader. And you're a leader if you have influence. And a lot of times people think that you're only a leader when you have a title of a CEO, COO, lead pastor, senior pastor, president, governor, whatever. You think you're only a leader when you have that title. But really, leadership, as John Maxwell describes it, is just influence. 
If you have influence, guess what you are? You are a leader. You could be a leader in your home. You could be a leader in the workplace. But there is someone that you have influence on. And, and let me just say this. A lot of times we think that we can only influence those that, and I, don't, I use this term lightly, we can only influence those that are beneath us, younger than us. Does that make sense? That we feel because we're inexperienced or we don't have the right position, we can't influence those that are above us. I've wrestled with that. Like there was a season in life where I felt like I was too young to do anything, to have any influence. And then just like overnight, I feel like I'm too old to do anything. It's just something flips. But we all have influence. And as the church, we need to be influencing the influencers. Can I get an amen, right? Because that's what we see Daniel doing here. Let's go to Daniel chapter one. Um, read a couple of verses here. And so we know that he's been taken into the king's court. He's being indoctrinated with the literature, the history of Babylon. And it's not just that. Like, like they're being taught the ways and the, the, like, the incantations and the magic, actually, of Babylon. And so they go through three years of this indoctrination. And this is what, what is said. It says, whenever the king consulted them, talking about Daniel, Radshak, Meshach, and Abednego, um, on any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, the king found them 10 times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in the entire kingdom. So they were 10 times better than everyone else. Not just, not just the ones who have been captured from Jerusalem and, Ju and Judah, captured, but all of the magicians, all of the enchanters. And these were, for lack of a better term, these were the king's cabinet men right? And women. And the king found these guys more capable than anyone else, not just two times, but how many times? 10 times, 10 times. And then it goes on to say that, that Daniel continued and remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. And here's why that's important, guys. Here's why that's important. It wasn't just one king, Daniel actually served under multiple kings, but not just multiple kings of the same nation, the same government, but multiple kings under different governments. Now, how many of you know, like whenever a new election comes and whether it's locally or nationally, that when a new person is elected into an office, what happens to his cabinet? They're gone. Even in some businesses, when they get a new CEO, all the other guys that are kind of mid-level, what happens to them? They're gone. But Daniel remains not just under King Nebuchadnezzar, but the king that comes after him, the king that comes after him, and the whole government that comes after him. That's pretty impressive, wouldn't you say? Because there was something about him and about his, his friends that allowed him not just to influence culture for a season or king for a season, but on and on and on. Because here's, here's what we need to understand, church, and and sometimes we isolate ourselves and, and we fail to do this. Um, an, an understanding of culture and a commitment to the things of God create opportunities to influence the influencers. An understanding of culture and a commitment to the things of God gives us, opens the door for you and I to influence those who are influencing culture. That's a big deal. 
Okay, when we have an understanding, we don't have to sell out to it. We don't have to be indoctrinated. We don't have to follow it, but we have to understand how the world works to be, as scripture says, to be as shrewd as a snake, but gentle as a dove. We have to understand how things work. But then we also have to stand and be committed on the things of God because the understanding gives us insight, gives us opportunity, but the favor and the commitment, the commitment to the things of God gives us favor, gives us protection from God. Now, as, as I'm talking about this, I don't want us to get caught up in just like the, the vastness and just see this as a um, political, government, national message on how we influence influencers and influence change. But I want us to shrink it into a microcosm to think about how you can do this at work to think about how you can do this within organizations you're a part of, relationships that you're a part of. How can we influence those that influence culture? Because every one of us in here, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a mid-level manager, whether you're a teenager, college student, you have opportunities to influence the culture there if we do it the right way. And so this is, this is go to Daniel chapter two. Um, Daniel chapter two Daniel is actually still in training. This is the second year of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign. He's actually still in training. And King Nebuchadnezzar has this terrible dream. It's a nightmare. Wakes up the next day and he's just terrified because of what he has, has, has dreamed. And he brings his cabinet in. He brings all the magicians, the seers, the enchanters. He brings his cabinet in. It's like, guys, I had a really, really bad dream. I need you to tell me what this dream means because I'm terrified about it. And I'm like, okay, okay, tell us your dream. He says, no, I'm not, I'm not telling you my dream. He says, I want you to tell me my dream. You tell me my dream and then tell me what it means. And they're pushing back. How I many of you know it's like, I have a hard enough time remembering my dreams when I wake up in the morning. I'm sure as heck not gonna be able to tell anybody else in my house their dreams. And they're saying, we, this can't be done, King. This is this, it's completely impossible. And, and Nebuchadnezzar says, either you do this or you die. And it's not just you that's going to die, but your whole family's going to die. Now, I would be freaking out. Would you be freaking out? And this is one of those things to where, like, everyone's affected by one person. Everyone's affected by a group of people. I've been in those situations. I played basketball in high school. And, you know, at, at the end of practice, we would shoot one-and-ones. And one-on-one one is where you make the first free throw, you get to shoot the second free throw, right? And if we miss the first free throw, we had to run two sprints. If we made the first, missed the second, we had to run one sprint. But it wasn't just the guy shooting the free throw, guess who it was? It was the entire team shooting the free throws. I, I did not enjoy that because I wasn't a very good free throw shooter. And so that was already weighing on my mind. It's like, if I mess this up, everybody's gonna die. Everybody's gonna have to run. And so Daniel is really in this kind of mix. Even though he's not an enchanter, even though he's not a magician, he's still in training, it still affects him because we see what happens in verse 14. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. And he asked Arioch, why is the king issued such a harsh decree. So Arioch told him all that had happened. Listen, the king had a dream. He's wanting us to interpret it, but he won't tell us the dream and he's gonna kill us if we don't. And so Daniel went to the king at once and requested more time to tell the king what the dream meant. Now, as I'm reading this, there's something that sticks out and I see this happen over and over and over the next few chapters. It says, Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and what? 
discretion. Says Daniel handled, handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. You got to understand, like, he's still in training. Like, he's not even on the job yet. Imagine you're in training and you're getting punished for people who are already doing the job, but you're not even doing the job. You're learning to do the job, and now they're going to punish you. Would you be freaking out? I would be freaking out. I would be trying to, to like, defend myself of why I should not, you know, why I should not be disciplined and murdered, but he doesn't. It says that he handles the situation with wisdom and discretion. And actually another word for discretion in other translations is this word tact. You guys heard that before, right? Handled it with wisdom and tact. And tact is this, it's an awareness to do or say, awareness of what to do or say to maintain good relations with others or avoid offense, okay? An awareness of what to do or say in order to maintain a good relation and to keep from offense. And we see Daniel actually handling chapter one, what's going on in chapter one with tact because they're offering him food from the king's table, right? And even though he's not supposed to eat it, he doesn't say, no, man, I'm not eating that. That's against my religion. He doesn't say that, right? Instead, he asks for permission to not eat. So he's handling that situation even with tact. And the Latin word, the Latin word for this means soft touch. That when we handle these um, tense situations with wisdom and tact, it is a soft touch. It's a proverb that says a soft word does what? Soft words turn away wrath. And that when we handle things in the right way, it turns away wrath. But what we see happen again and again and again, guys, in in Daniel's life while he's in captivity is he doesn't just protect himself, but he actually influences culture by influencing the influencers. So I'm gonna give us some tactics, uh, right? Some tactics on how we can stand strong and actually love well. And one of the things that, that we have to do, church, is, is we have to be humble. Like that's the first thing. Like we see Daniel over and over and over just being humble because here's, here's what, what being humble is, is, is it's not just thinking of your, like thinking less of yourself because sometimes we will wanna do that. We'll wanna just put ourselves down and think that's being humble. But being humble is actually just thinking of yourself less. Right, not, not thinking of yourself all the time. And that's what Daniel, Daniel even trying to save his life, but he's also trying to save the life of everyone else. And when we're humble, we recognize that our abilities and influence are from God. Like every ability that, that, that you have, things that you're able to, you know, able to do, um, influence that you have at work, influence that you have within your family, in the community, all of that, you didn't get there on your own. Right? I started this church, but I didn't do it on my own. God brought us to this place. God gave us wisdom. God kept my wife and family sane. God kept me sane. God brought people alongside of us, but it wasn't just me. We have to stay humble, church. And this is what Daniel says. He says, Daniel, when he's talking to the king at this point, because he gets what the, the, the dream was and what it means. And so he goes to the king and he says this. He says, look, there are no wise men. There are no enchanters, no magicians, no fortune tellers. There's no man on your cabinet who can reveal the king's secret. And I love this verse 28. It says, but there is a God in heaven. 
come on. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets and he has shown Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now I will tell you your dream and the vision you saw as you lay on your bed. And when I read that line, but there is a God in heaven, how many times do we allow the situations to push us back and we forget that there is a God in heaven? Right, there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. There is a God in heaven who gives us wisdom. There is a God in heaven who gives provision. There is a God in heaven who gives direction. And Daniel is saying, look, there's not a man that can do this, but there is a God in heaven. And this is the first time King Nebi, King Nebuchadnezzar is, is being introduced to the God of the Bible, the God of the Old Testament. And in verse 29, he continues, he says, look, while your majesty was sleeping, you dreamed about coming events. He who reveals secrets has shown you what is going to happen. And it's not because I'm wiser than anyone else or that I know all the secrets. It's not because I have this great, like God's like put me here because I'm so great. No, this is what he says. But God wants you to understand what is in your heart. Church, that's like one of our responsibilities as followers, not, not to always just correct people's behavior. We just wanna go straight to the behavior, right? But he's saying, no, God wants you to understand what is in your heart. Even when we're looking at culture and we're talking about behavior, what's happening is, is we should help people understand and reveal what's in their heart and the behavior that is connected to their heart, that is connected to something that's broken on the inside of them. God wants you to understand what's in your heart. This is such a powerful statement. Now listen, guys, you, you have influence, okay? You have influence over influencers. Now you may be a teacher in the classroom. You have influence, I've seen it. You have influence with your vice principal. You know, you may be a younger leader and you're having to supervise some older leaders. Guess what? You have influence over them or maybe you're not a supervisor. You know, when I was... I say, I use these stories a lot because it was so pivotal. Like when I was working at FedEx, my trainer was 19. He had just started shaving, I'm pretty sure. You know, I'm 40, 41 at the time, three kids, college degree, he's 19. I could have, I could have had a woe is me mentality, but I had an opportunity to speak into his life. My boss wound up being my manager, wound up being like 25, I had an opportunity to be an influence there. So, so don't think just because you're too old under someone that's younger than you or you're too young serving over someone that's older than you, you, you don't have an opportunity to influence them. Because when we are humble, that opens the door for influence. Humility will open doors easily that pride can't jerk open. I could have went in there and be like, dude, I'm 42. You can't tell me anything, right? I could have went in there with that attitude and not, like there are people in this church and on our serve team because I humbled myself there. You have opportunities to speak into people's life if you will stay humble. Um, and when humility opens the door, this is what we have to do. And we see Daniel doing this. We have to be honest, church. We have to tell the truth even when it's dangerously hard. Even when it's dangerously hard, we see Daniel and Radshak and Meshach chapter after chapter after chapter having opportunities to tell the truth when their life was on the line. They were thrown in a furnace. They were thrown in a lion's den. And it, and, and it wasn't just like, we like being honest when it's good news. We're all about that. We don't like being honest when it's bad news. 
And just for the record, most of the honesty and the truth that Daniel had to share with the kings wasn't always, well, actually most of the time it wasn't good news. The dream that Daniel interpreted was really all about King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom coming to an end at one point. And then there's another opportunity with Radshak, Meshach, and Abednego when they're not gonna bow between or bow to the, to the statue. They have to be honest about that. That's pretty painfully hard. And then Daniel's also serving another king and, and this king, his name's Belshazzar. And he's taken all the goblets that Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple of God. And he decides he wants to have a party and he doesn't wanna use the red solo cups. So he goes and gets the gold goblets out of their God's temple and begins to party with these goblets, um, defiling the things of God. And it says that a disconnected hand appeared. Now, could it have been the alcohol? It's probably God, right? But this disconnected hand appeared and started to write on the wall. And, and he's freaking out. Scripture says that, that um, his legs became lifeless and like he turned pale white. And so they bring Daniel in and it's like, look, you gotta, you gotta translate this. What does this mean? And so Daniel had to basically tell the king Belshazzar that look, God has seen what you're doing. He's not happy. You're gonna lose your kingdom and you're pretty much gonna die. That night, Belshazzar dies. So speaking the truth can be dangerous sometimes, um, can be painfully hard. We have to be willing to speak the truth even when it's hard. Can I just say this though? Not our truth, but God's truth. Not our truth, but God's truth. Because our truth, guess what that is? That's just an opinion. We have to be willing to speak God's truth. And we have a lot of opinions floating around culture. Um, and we have to speak the truth. And um, sometimes we know the truth and we don't say anything. Right? So we know that we are children of God. But scripture says that Satan is the father of what? lies. And so when we are not honest, we're not following our heavenly father. Instead, we're coming under the reign of Satan. And, and can I just say this? Like, um, man, how do I say this the right way and not offend anybody? Is it okay if I step on your toes just a minute? We have found saying the truth. We have found that, that we can be bold in saying the truth on social media, but not in person. Some of us, myself included, have had times we are real bold with speaking what we think is the truth, but sometimes it's just an opinion. Okay, can I say that? <laughs> but, but not have the conversation with someone in our office that needs to have a conversation and address some truth. Not have a conversation with someone in our family. Not have a conversation with someone in our church. Can I even say that? when truth needs to be addressed, but we will very quickly think that we are boldly posting something on social media that's gonna just change all the culture, but we can quickly, it's not boldness, it's cowardness. Can I say that? Because we can take that down. You guys okay? We have to be willing to speak the truth face to face. Daniel had to do that face to face when his life was on the line. Now, um, we can't just fillet people with the truth because I've met people who's like, I'm just gonna tell it like it is. You can like it or leave it, right? We know those people. We can't just tell the truth that way because we see Daniel being humble. We see him being honest, but then we also see him time and time again showing honor to the king, to those that he disagreed with, showing honor. Um, 
and we have to understand this, we have to accept that God sets up and purposes all authorities. Okay, I promised you guys this isn't gonna be a political series, but let me just talk a little bit. Even at work, the bosses that you don't like, could it be that God has them there for a purpose that you don't understand, right? The leaders that we have in, in elected offices, could it be that, that God has them there for a reason that we may not fully understand whether we agree with their party or disagree with their party? Like Daniel understood this in, in chapter two, verses 37. He says this, your majesty, he's talking to King Nebuchadnezzar, you are the greatest of kings. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty and power and strength and honor. He has, he, Daniel is saying, look, God has made you ruler over the over all of the inhabited world and has put even the wild animals and birds under your control. And sometimes we can look at that and be like, well, Stephen, that's just Old Testament. Shall we go to the New Testament? Can we do that? Let's go to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, Paul is writing this and he's writing this on authority and he's talking about you, you must submit the governing authorities. Now, the crazy thing about when Paul is writing this Paul wrote two thirds of the New Testament and he's writing these books, these letters to churches telling the churches how they ought to behave. And as he's writing this, King Nero is coming to rule in the Roman Empire and he's kind of gaining influence there. And this king pretty much set Rome on fire and to find someone to blame, he begins blaming Christians and capturing Christians and, and torturing them and executing them to blame them. So, so he's persecuting Christians. And this is what Paul says. Everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authorities come from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by who? God, okay, you're not really excited about that, right? So anyone who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and they will be punished for the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Then do what is right and they will honor you. I've been nervous about reading that passage of scripture all week. Right, just because there's, you know, there's such a tension in our country right now about who's in charge, whether it's in a political office or whether it's at your office of work, right, your place of business. And we look at these people in authority and, and we say, okay, we're in America, that's, that's true for then, but we elected those officials, right? And I have family members that have given their life and some of you have given your life. I am thankful for our privilege and our right to be able to vote but just because we can vote, um, the truth of God's word is not changed by our democracy. The truth of God's word is not changed by our democracy. If there is a good president in office, if there is a good governor, if you have a good boss, God placed him there. If there's a jerk or an idiot, could it be God placed it there to do a work in your life and in our hearts? I know that's hard to swallow. But it's not just like, scripture's like, oh, okay, you guys voted for your, yeah, I didn't put him there, you put him there. But could he have put him there working through us to teach us something? Daniel was forced into this and he's still honored. So how do we, how do we, how do we really do this, right? You guys ready? How do we, how do we really live this out um, when we don't agree with everything within our culture within our country, within our work, within our school. How do we live this out? Daniel chapter three, verses 16. And we know this story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Rakshak, and Benny, they've not bowed 
to worship this golden statue. Nebuchadnezzar built this golden statue that, that, that he wants everyone to bow down to when the band plays. And so the band plays, the music starts, everyone bows down except these three. And so they bring him in to face the king and King Nebuchadnezzar is like, look, I'm gonna give you one more chance. Look, just, I'm gonna start the band up and you're gonna bow. I'm gonna start the band up, you're gonna bow. That's how it's gonna work. And, and they don't do it and this is their response. They say, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we wanna make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the golden statue you have set up. They still honored the king even in their defiance. Now, now I used to read this and I even preached this with a little bit of an edge. When they said, your majesty, I was like, we're not gonna listen to you, your majesty, almost with like a gangster edge, right? Just like in complete defiance, mic drop, real prideful. But then I realized I wasn't reading pride in scripture. Guess who I was reading pride in? Me, <laughs> right? I was reading pride in me. And that's hard to think that they honored even in the face of death. They defied the king's orders because of their allegiance to the one true God, but they honored and surrendered to the consequences of their defiance. And they did so with honor. When it came from the meals from the king, Daniel's like, look, like I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna eat it, so please give us something else. He did it honorably, but I guarantee you, like had they not, honored that wish when they brought the meal to him, he would have done like we all did when we didn't want to eat our broccoli. We put it in a napkin, right? <laughs> Feed it to the dog. He would, have, he would have not eaten it, but he would have done so honorably because here's what I know is the truth. Um, we can still honor authority without surrendering allegiance. We can still honor authority without surrendering allegiance because it says, look, like, like, Paul even says this time and time again, like we are citizens not of this world. And again, I'm so grateful for the rights that I have. I would not want to live anywhere else besides America. I'm proud to be an American. Jennifer, I sang it first service. Jennifer said, I can't sing it this service. So it saved you guys. But I am so proud, but I understand my responsibilities as a believer supersede my rights as an American, that when we are working and walking in this culture, we do so humbly, honestly, but also with honor because when we do that, then we receive honor. We see it time and time again in Daniel's story. Every time he does this, Nebuchadnezzar's heart changes, the culture changes. And then he's an idiot again and Daniel has to start all over, right? We see it time and time again, even in the New Testament, as the church is growing, the apostles are preaching, and they arrest the apostles. They bring them in before the religious leaders and say, look, you have to stop preaching. If you don't stop preaching, you're gonna be imprisoned. You know? And what do they say? What do the apostles say? No, we can't stop preaching. We can't. As a matter of fact, it's like they get flogged for preaching and saying, we're not gonna stop preaching. They get flogged. They surrender to the consequence, honor the authorities, surrender to the consequence. And then what do they do when they go back out? They just keep preaching. That's what we have to do. As culture tries to push us back, we hold our ground. We do so humbly, honesty, and with honor. And when we do that, culture changes. COVID like just turned the whole world upside down, right? It, it divided. 
churches, it divided organizations, it divided families, it divided relationships. And thankfully here, you know, in, in Tennessee as the belt buckle of the Bible belt, things opened up a little bit sooner than they did in other parts of the country. And other parts that are more liberal churches didn't get to open. Like I have pastor friends that we went through training and they planted a church in 2018 and then shut down for a year and a half. I couldn't imagine having to shut down. And, and on the news, and it was just a blip on the radar. It didn't really affect us here, but I was thinking about the people in the community that saw this. So there was a season where churches could not meet. Churches could not open up. But other businesses of entertainment could open because churches weren't considered essential, but these other entertainment businesses were able to open. And gentlemen's clubs were allowed to open and meet when churches could not. Those are strip clubs, in case you don't know, right? And so this is what some churches did. Okay, they advertised that their Sunday morning service was gonna be an hour of entertainment, okay, for lack of a better term. It was a strip club and they were trying to hide it and this is what the pastors would do. I watched it and, and my heart broke. We laughed, but he would come out, he came out on stage removing his tie and his jacket as they were playing burlesque music. You like that? No. Playing burlesque music and sticking basically just a jab at the government. Now, I got to thinking about that as I was preparing this week. Like, like we laugh at it, but it also hurt my heart that the church would do something like that. Like how much did, did, did that do a lot of good or a lot of bad? They were proving a point, but totally the wrong way. And I got to thinking like, like what, what would I do? Like what would Avenue Church do if something like that happened? Guys, we would still meet, but I'm not gonna make a joke of it. I'm gonna find leaders in this church that will help me meet in homes and we're still gonna meet. And if we can meet together in a group, even though government says we can't, whether it's COVID related, whether it's government, like guys, we're still gonna meet, but I'm gonna do it honorably and I'm gonna do it honestly and I'm gonna do it humbly so that culture can be changed and people can be influenced by our honesty, guys. Because just because we're honoring authority doesn't mean that we're surrendering our allegiance Humility puts us in a place to be honest, but honor helps that honesty be heard. Humility puts us in a place to be honest, but honor allows that honesty to be heard. And I get to thinking like, that's Jesus, right? That's not just the way of Jesus, but that's who Jesus is. He was fully truth. He was fully grace. That's what Honor and humility is that is, that is bringing grace in. And we see this actually in John, John chapter one. It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace. Jesus was full of grace, full of humility, full of honor, but he was also full of truth. We don't need just a little bit of truth and a little bit of grace or just grace and no truth because, because here's, here's what happens. Truth without grace is demeaning, but grace without truth is deceiving. Truth without grace is demeaning. It makes people feel less than. It's not changing hearts. As a matter of fact, probably what it's doing is it's hardening hearts, right? 
but all grace and no truth is deceiving because there are consequences to actions. There are consequences to decisions. And if we're not telling that truth, we're keeping people in captivity and in places for them to be harmed. And so like, I, even, even in thinking, thinking with that, there is, there's this um, documentary that I haven't watched yet. I've just seen tons of clips with this whole like gender ideology thing that's just hitting our culture so hard. There's this gentleman's named Matt Walsh. Some of you guys have probably seen the previews on Facebook. It's just like flooded there for weeks. And he's, he's answering this question and asking this question, what is a woman, right? Because that's the question right now. It's like, what is a woman? Because you can change genders and still be considered. It's just completely messed up. And, but what I see is he's talking to all these influencers. He's talking to professors. He's talking to legal advisors. He's talking to government officials. He's talking to all these, but it's, but it's real prideful. There's no redemption in that. He's given the truth, but it's in a demeaning way because here's what you have to understand. Like, like people who don't agree with our faith, people who don't line up with our, with our ideologies, they are also made in the image of God. And so even though we don't agree with them, and it may be hard to honor them, honor, the, honor them because they're made in the image of God. Honor the God part of them, if nothing else. Because just as all of us here in church on a Sunday morning, we like to sing that we're created in the image of God. Well, someone out there who disagrees with you politically or whatever, they're made in the same image of God. And if we're presenting truth in a way that is not honorable and is packaged wrong, we're no better than those that we argue against. That makes sense, church? So truth without grace is demeaning. Grace though, like we, we have to bring the truth. Without that, that's deceiving people. It's like, oh, it's okay, just, just stay where you're at. No, you're staying on a path to hell. Here's, here's what we need. Here's what they need. They need truth. They need grace. And where is that found? in Jesus. But it's not just them, church. We need grace. We need truth. We need Jesus so that we can stand as culture shifting around us. Can't do it on our own. Can thrive as culture shifts, but it's through grace. It's through truth. It's through Jesus. It's through humility. It's through honesty. And it's honoring even when we disagree. So maybe you're here today and like, maybe you're here and you've had church experiences that were just all truth and there was no grace and you felt less than. I want you, Jesus says, come to me all of you who are weary and I will give you rest. So you found yourself backing away from the things of God because you felt like you couldn't measure up. But I know sometimes like in my life, there wasn't enough truth around. So I wound up backing myself out and away from the things of God because there wasn't enough truth. Does that make sense? That it takes both and that's both found in Jesus. So I want us to close our eyes and bow our heads just for a moment. As maybe you're here today and, and you've just been beat over the head with truth, with no grace, and you just hardened your heart against the things of God. Or maybe you didn't receive the truth because it was packaged in the wrong way. Or 
or maybe you just denied the truth and just sat on grace and you found yourself walking step by step away from the things of God. I just want to pray for you as you come back into relationship with Jesus. And if that's you and you're here today and you say, you know what, I need I need Jesus. I need a relationship with him. I've tried things my way. It didn't work. I've tried things the world's way. It didn't work. I'm taking the advice of everyone but God's advice and it didn't work and, and I need to make those changes. If that's you, just gonna ask you just to lift your hand just for a moment. Lifting your hand doesn't save you, but I wanna know who I'm praying for, what's going on in your heart and your life. Raising your hand just simply acknowledges that you need a savior. Awesome, awesome. All right, look up here at me, guys, and here's what we're gonna do. I'm pray for that, but then I'm gonna pray for you. Like if you're a Christian and you know God, that you would walk boldly into your workplace, into your organizations, into your schools, teenagers and college students. And you would speak the truth even when it's hard, but that we would walk and honor those around us so that we can change culture. Let's pray together. Father, I just come to you this morning and I thank you so much for what you're doing in this house and doing in our lives and doing in this community, God, that, that we can come together, we can lift up your name and our hearts can be changed. And God, we can be encouraged by your spirit, but God, we also wanna be challenged by your word. God, let it do the work in our hearts that it needs to. God, for those that lifted their hands today or maybe you've been working on their hearts the last several weeks, God, and um, you're doing in them a new work. God, bringing them out of a life that uh, maybe has brought heartache and shame. Decisions that they made were apart from you, apart from your word. God, I just pray that those that don't know you, that have lifted their hands, they just come into relationship with you right now. It doesn't make everything better, but it gives everything just so much more purpose. It gives us a direction. God, any guilt or shame that's been felt because of things they've done, let, it, let that forgiveness just overwhelm them right now. God, your word says that all those who are in Christ are a new creation. God, that you're ordering their steps going forward as we acknowledge the sacrifice that you have made. God, for those of us who are doing our best to follow you and we see culture shifting and maybe we're afraid, we don't know what to do, or maybe we're angry and we wanna do something, God, help us to do it with the right heart. God, help us to walk humbly. God, when given the opportunity to speak truth, don't let us cower away, but let us do it honorably so that it can be received well. So Father, we thank you for what you're doing in this house and in our lives. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen, amen. Hey, guys, I know if this is your church, you're...